Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Welcome to Basic Folk, where you interrupted me. Sorry. Keep this in. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. I'm Lizzie No, and this is Cindy House. Hey, Lizzie. Hi. Hi. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, so excited for our conversation with Valerie June today. Tell me about it. I'm so excited. <laughs> she is singular. She's a singular artist. Hmm. I love that. Before we get into that, I want to know what's going on with you. Do you have any news that you want to tell your basic folk buddies? Well, what isn't new with me? I feel like I'm busier than I've ever been in my life. And that is probably just because... <laughs> I didn't do anything for a year and a half. I like sat on the couch and <laughs> um, and now I'm back to work more than ever. I would love to point our listeners towards a really fantastic article that came out today in NPR Music by Julie Height. Hi, Julie. You are great. Hi, Julie. It was a really good write-up on a little bit of what's going on with this movement of Black roots and country musicians and it was a little snapshot into our time in Nashville this past September. So for people that are curious about what's going on and maybe enjoyed our roundtable with Allison Russell, Kaya Cater, and Jake Blount, that article would be a great place to go. And it's called New Roots. We'll link it in the show notes. Yay! Because it might be hard to find because Valerie June episode is coming out, what is it, like a year from now? Right. I don't know. You know what's one thing about you that I love, Cindy, is that you are so well aware of the passage of time, and that's just so admirable that you're like, oh, t we're talking today, but the episode isn't coming out for a few weeks. Like It's like you have this sense. It took me a long time to get here. I'm so proud of you and grateful for you. Well, listen, speaking of that, I'm so proud of you. Thank you. For all of the awesome work that you have been doing with the Black Opry. Um, and in fact, there is a show coming up in Nashville. There sure is. On December 18th. Yeah, the Black Opry Review is coming to Nashville to the Exit Inn on December 18th. Tickets are available right now, um, but probably not for long. Um, we have an amazing special guest, Frankie Staten, who's one of the founders of the Black CMA and a great artist and a super cool person. And we're going to basically do it in the round style with people sitting and playing guitar and keyboards and sharing stories and songs. So that's December 18th at the Exit Inn. Do you know if it's going to be streamed? Now, that is a good question. And the answer is yes. 
<laughs> it took me a minute to remember. Yeah, uh, there is a live stream link available on the Exit In website. I'll also link that in the show notes. Yay, thank you. That's awesome. I'm so excited that it's going to be streamed because I'm like 30% convinced that I'm going to drive to Nashville. Come with me. We can carpool. Ooh, we can drive in the HOV lane. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Cindy, do you have any news that you might be interested in sharing? Yes. Okay. So first of all, right now we are in a fundraiser for Basic Folk. Hell yeah. We're asking people to make contributions to help produce so we can continue to operate and do, you know, incredibly important interviews and roundtables and the like. Um, so we're asking people to go to basicfolk.com slash donate. And I'm sure if you're listening right now, right around the time the episode is being released, you have already heard me and Lizzie pitch some stuff um, to you before this podcast. But uh, we do have members-only content that is available backstage. So our, our bonus content is called Backstage. And right now there is an interview I did with KT Tunstall in 2013 posted. Oh, my God. Yeah. She's like my favorite person to talk to aside from you, Lizzie. Um, (laughs) Also, a couple of days ago, we did share a preview of that KT Tunstall interview that you can check out uh, in the in the podcast feed. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, um, you can check out the backstage preview for our KT Tunstall interview. But it's also like listening back to that interview made me reflect on like who I was back in 2013 and what what I was going through and where I've come. So there's a little bit of a vulnerable reflection. Oh, Cindy. Yeah. To listen to an interview like that, I can actually like hear the stress and the nerves and the anxiety that was like just ruling my life. But anyways, if you would like to make a donation, you can go to basicfolk.com slash donate uh, and $5 a month or a one-time gift of $60 will get you access to Backstage. And we're going to have a lot of great stuff happening backstage. So I hope you'll join us. Um, the other things that I wanted to talk about is that I recently drove to and from Massachusetts. So on my nine-and-a-half-hour drive, I like binged uh, this podcast about the L word, Generation Q. <gasps> Um, Fantastic. It's called To L and Back. Uh, and apparently they have done all of the regular L Word, season one of L Word Generation Q and season two. So I'm season two just wrapped up in October. So I was listening to season two and it was like really, I mean, I just loved it. I just love hearing people talk about TV shows that I love. Um, Elizabeth, my partner, was in the car for me on the way home, and she kept, like, arguing with the podcast, and I was just like, let it just, like, wash over you, and these people are funny, (laughs) and they're talking about characters that we love and also hate. Um, So anyways, that's my podcast recommendation. It's called To L and Back, and it's presented by Autostraddle, which is the gay internet. Um, And one more thing before we go... Um, Our Lord and Savior, Aeneas Mitchell, is releasing a new (gasps) album on January 28th. Finally. I am beside myself. It has been one millennium since she has released a new album of original stuff. I cannot wait. 
at the time that we are recording this podcast, there is one song out now called Bright Star, and I've listened to it like 37 times. Dude, I feel like I'm not actually, like, part of me can't wait for the new album, and part of me, like, is not ready whatsoever. I did, um, around New Year's of 2020, I did a very painstaking list of my favorite albums and songs of the 2010s and Mm -hmm. young man in america was my number one album Mm -hmm. that album just i actually don't have adjectives so we should probably move on nope okay (laughs) um the other cool thing i posted on my instagram that i was so excited i got the press release for the album and they used a quote from NPR that I wrote. Stop. In the press release it says, dubbed by NPR as one of the greatest songwriters of her generation. She is. And I wrote that. And I want to say that uh, I don't have a lot of sway at NPR. (laughs) Like I don't have a lot of sway (laughs) in general. Um, You have sway with me. Every chance that I... (laughs) Thank you, Lizzie. <laughs> Every chance that I got to like write about Aeneas and write about Hadestown for mm-hmm. NPR, I very much was like, we got to do it. We got to do it. We got to do it. And it was before Hadestown was on Broadway. Yeah. You knew. But anyways, that's a little bit of a humble brag, some personal news uh, <laughs> of, of my involvement in the new Aeneas Mitchell album. Um, it's produced by... Josh Kaufman, who is uh, a member of Bonnie Light Horseman, and he's like basically producing everyone's album these Great. days. And the the song sounds so beautiful. I'm so excited to hear the rest of it. Okay, um, those are my updates. Thank you, Cindy. Lizzie, let's launch into Valerie June. Oh, the Valerie June. Okay, today's guest, Valerie June, grew up as country as country gets in Jackson, Tennessee. She remembers writing songs at a very young age, inspired by frogs and rainbows and other super country things that were her world at the time. And her musical world was divided between the church, where she got this amazing training in choral singing, but where the voice was the tool for worship and instruments were not allowed. And then the secular world, where she was helping out with her dad's side hustle as a promoter in the local music scene. She did a stint in a band and then struck out on her own as a solo artist, where she was influenced by this thriving Memphis musical scene where she had moved and um, was finding herself immersed in that scene. Her solo work is shaped by blues, folk, rock, and spiritual influences. And it was just so fascinating to hear her talk about the role of intuition in her writing, which brings us to her latest I love talking about intuition. Yes. She talks about music like it's this play that's going on all around her that she's just receiving, um, which I think is such a fascinating way to talk about the writing process. Um... Her amazing recent album, The Moon and Stars, Prescriptions for Dreamers, is a super powerful step on her path as a -a one-of-a-kind creator. I feel like she is shaping a new world on each track. 
the album features a really wide range of emotions from meditation to celebration and not to mention a guest appearance from the one and only Carla Thomas. And you know, we had to get into that collaboration right in our conversation. Carla Thomas, B-A-B-Y, oh, baby. The best. I also took this interview selfishly as an opportunity to get a little bit personal about my own journey as a folk artist because Valerie June has had an enormous impact on me as a creator. Um, and it was just a privilege to talk about the stories behind some of the songs that I have been listening to for years. In particular, the song Work in Woman Blues, which just blew my mind when I first mm-hmm. heard it and has been like a landmark in my musical life. So I felt just really blessed and grateful to be able to talk with someone who's been a huge influence on me and I think has touched the hearts of a lot of our listeners. So I know Mm. everyone is going to enjoy our conversation with the one and only Valerie June. We're going to listen to a song from Valerie's new album. It is called Stay and then we will get to our conversation with Lizzie No and Valerie June on Basic Folk. Thanks, Cindy. Welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. I'm Lizzie No, and I am here with the amazing Valerie June. Thank you so much for talking with me, Valerie. Thanks for inviting me. I'm glad to finally get to talk to you, and because I've listened to your music and really respect oh what you do, so I'm very grateful for this moment. And well, when thank we you, met, ma'am. <laughs> I didn't know um, I didn't know you were who you were when I met you this weekend because your hair color is different. I know. I've just <laughs> I'm in disguise as a blonde. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. <laughs> thank you. It was a roll of the dice, but here we are. Nice roll. <laughs> Well, I want to start at the very beginning of it all. Um, I know a lot of our listeners are huge fans of yours, but I want to like go back into the history of Valerie June before you were, you know, the person that the world knows when you were growing up in Jackson, Tennessee. Um, so you've said that you learned to sing in church where instruments were not allowed. 
Um, so what was it like to start learning to play instruments? Like, did you play and sing together right away? Or was there like a process of integrating, you know, playing with your hands and singing at the same time? I didn't start playing instruments until I was in my early 20s. I had an instrument when I was 14 and 15. My grandfather gave me a guitar, but I did what most people do. I just let it get dusty and mm-hmm. <laughs> and just never did play it. But when I was in my early 20s, that's when I started going through chord books and trying to learn how to play. Because between about 15 and 24, I was with my partner my ex-husband who played guitar and I sang Mm -hmm. so I didn't have to play an instrument because I had a band but when the band broke up that's when I had to start sitting and really learning how to put an instrument with my voice yeah how did that affect like the physicality of your performances because like as a singer when you're like when you're just a singer quote unquote you can kind of dance around you have a lot of freedom did you did it feel really different to be performing like holding a heavy object and like having this other like sort of head pat belly rub coordination moment I have never had good coordination I've been (laughs) just awful at dancing and keeping time with anybody I do okay by myself Mm -hmm. (laughs) but to this day playing with others is not easy for me and I can sing with others and that's so fine but the coordination of playing that's a totally different thing that I had to try to teach myself and learn and I'm still learning so maybe someday we'll see Sideman Valerie yeah but I'm ready for that day. I could play bass uh, on one of your songs one day. <laughs> I'm going to take you up on that because now it's on the record. I haven't seen you play bass. Do you play bass on your on I your don't. Recordings? That's what I'm saying. Okay, well, TBD, <laughs> TBD. Oh, my God. Breaking news here. But I can play anything that I can play to my voice. It's just yeah. I can't play other people's songs. And that's still hard for me, playing at a cover or doing somebody else's song. Yeah. Like, I can make a song up on just this chair and, <laughs> you know, my voice. <laughs> I can do what I do without knowing really technically how to play the instrument because I just play to my voice. Yeah, it's so much harder if people like know what to expect and they're like expecting to hear wagon wheel, and then you're like, I don't know, I only know how to do my own thing. <laughs> I can relate yeah. to that. <laughs> but you know what? I have so much respect for musicians who are so brilliant and they can just play anything. Like mm-hmm. my band members, they're amazing. Yes. They literally can play anything. <laughs> Super pro. Yeah, I'm like, how's that happen? But a lot of them, they started when they were really young. So I think if I yeah. have a few more decades, I should be able to get it. <laughs> oh yeah, you've got plenty of time. You, I feel like you're the type of person that, and correct me if I'm projecting, but you seem like you eat like the things the rest of us should be eating. Like I, I feel like maybe you like know how to make broccoli really tasty and things like that. So you probably have a lot of life ahead of you. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Speaking of starting young, I think it's really interesting that you were like a lot of musicians, like learning to sing in the church but you also helped your dad promote concerts for people like Prince, I think. Like, you know, you were bringing rock and R&B artists to your area. Did you feel when you were little like there was like a separate 
secular music world and then like a church music world or was it all one musical universe to you like was there tension between those two sources of inspiration most definitely there was tension between the two sources of inspiration because Mm. I was raised in a very strict household so even some of the music that my father promoted like we as children weren't supposed to be to know about that stuff (laughs) oh you're kidding yeah so like (laughs) you know the whole gospel and and religious side of things was heavy in our house it was like uh Mm -hmm. keep the skirts long and keep the legs crossed and you know it was it was intense and I was a bad bad kid because I broke all the rules (laughs) yeah I couldn't take it. I was like, but why? But why this? And why But what that? is the reason? Yeah. Oh, there's tons of reasons. They're all in yeah. the Bible. Oh, of course. <laughs> I broke them. <laughs> because I thought that the essence of what was being said was to love each other and be radiant and be beautiful and be strong and be great mm-hmm. and live and accept one another. And I just didn't see how all those rules was fitting with that. <laughs> In a way, it's as though you had internalized the spiritual message of it all. Maybe wise, but maybe you were wise beyond your years. Definitely old when I was born, and mm-hmm. you know, feel like a lot of the things that I spiritually connect with came before I even got here, and mm-hmm. that I'm here building upon what I've already got. You know, wow. so yeah. So, do you think like you had? A past life? Many, in many ways and forms. <gasps> and form I less f- too. <laughs> Are there ways that you've gone about trying to learn about that? Because I'm so curious about like, I always love to ask people, like friends of mine, like, well, what do you think actually happens to us when we die? And like, I grew up in a Christian environment where it's like, we have all the answers and here's what they are, you know? And it was very strict, like, this is exactly what's going to happen and has happened. But now I'm sort of more interested in the mystery of it all and like the possibilities. And I'm definitely drawn to people who seem like they're exploring that, you know? So like, are there... Um, sources that you've looked to to find out about those past lives and those past forms? Well, just like you, that question of what happens after we leave the body is one that's on my mind all the time. And when I was younger, I did ask other people, like everyone that I met, what they thought, you know. But now I don't really ask other people that question very much. Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel and receive the answer to that question, like in every moment from every experience, like when I'm with plants or when I'm walking Mm -hmm. down the street or whatever it might be, like, I get the answer that I need for that question, and it is endless. It, it never yeah. has a solid, you can put your finger on an answer. And I think mm-hmm. that, yeah, I've read tons of books, things like Tibetan Book for the Living and Dying mm-hmm. and all of those books, and um, really, really enjoyed so many things about it. But I think the ultimate thing that's important and that will happen you can only find for yourself in here when Mm -hmm. you're doing your self-work, that work, that healing work. 
you know, and you can't really tell anybody because right. as soon as you begin to put it into words, it just, it goes into blah, 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 yeah. because it doesn't make sense for them because they're on a totally different, uh, yeah. everyone has a different path to the same place, mm -hmm. you know? So you trying to tell them that you got to go down the street, you turn at the rose bush, you go underneath yeah. the, you know, <laughs> I mean, like, no, that just won't work because that's not the way they need to go, you know? Yeah, it's almost like trying to describe like what it is to be in love. Like you know it when you're there, but you couldn't write down the steps to somebody else. <laughs> it's so true. I love that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> it's addictive for a reason. It sure is. Yeah. I like that feeling. <laughs> I want to have yeah. that feeling and sometimes I have it again and again like mm -hmm. with things or people or things, you know, but when it happens, the whole magic of in love is just so, so surreal. And then mm -hmm. you, you get to the place where you're just in love. After the whole fuzz of it and the, the yeah. fireworks, then you're in love. And then that's just as sweet. But, um, you know, that other part, the firework part, that, that part is crazy, isn't it? <laughs> I almost like wouldn't wish it on anyone, but it's also the best. Yeah. I'm just like, why can't we just have that part go long, long, long? It, it would be so tiring. It would, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? We could never, like, have jobs or hobbies. <laughs> like, just, like, sit and stare out, the window, stare out the window all day. That would be hilarious. Yeah. Oh, what are they doing now? Yeah, it would be the crumbling of society. Oh, you were mentioning um, that, that connection to plants. And, and you were talking about it at your show the other night about hugging trees. Like, do you have early memories of like the first times you felt like I am like with this tree, it's a living thing, I'm connected to it. Like, can you talk about your relationship with trees? Well, I was raised in the country. And mm -hmm. so where I was raised, there was many acres, like 10 acres, and there were tall, mm -hmm. thin, narrow trees and, and you know, we didn't really have neighbors near and when you look to see the moon you could see it so clearly and the stars so clearly and I just mm -hmm. was with the phases I would go outside at night and just like look up and talk to the moon and have a relationship with the moon and stuff and there was a creek that ran through the land and snakes and crawdads and lizards and mm -hmm. all kinds of crazy things <laughs> from nature deer and <laughs> you know dogs with ticks and wildcats that people dropped off and all kinds of things. So I um, I have a deep connection to nature and have had since I was very little and love, 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 love plants so much. I don't know. Well, I mean, I just love how they teach us things and how mm -hmm. they, you know, if you watch them, they have like little moments of excitement or when they're getting low energy or when they like want more light and all of these things they tell you yeah. you know and so those are like the excitement of the plant is the relationships with the plant mm -hmm. but also when my father passed I was down in Luck, Texas at Willie Nelson's ranch mm -hmm. and I you know got off stage and I just had like you know grief hits you at random times yeah, I was fine at the funeral. I was fine a little bit after the funeral. But when I got off stage, I just lost it and started crying and I couldn't stop. And I sat under a tree and the tree 
gave me a hug. It hugged me. And it said, you can always lean on us and you can always call on us. We know more than you. And, you know, we've always been here. We've lost and we've loved and we will always be so solid for you. And, you know, I just love that tree gave me that moment. And there's been so many other tree moments. But that one in particular was one where I was like, oh, I'm not giving the hug. He's giving the hug. And it was great. (laughs) Whoa. Yeah. I mean, we don't think... We don't always think about trees as being as active as they really are because they have things to communicate to us. I can imagine that's a really comforting and energizing way to be in the world. I feel like I want to look at trees longer now. (laughs) Well, they also communicate with each other. Yeah. The studies say, and they Mm -hmm. don't compete with each other for light. And I think that's fascinating because it was thought that they would do. Yeah. Yeah. Endless light endless how do you like stay plant lady in brooklyn i just have a lot of plants here you keep them all in the house (laughs) well there's some in the house and some out the side some out back and they um they're everywhere like there's some by the bed and there's some that Mm -hmm. have just been started and some that are hanging on that yeah you know and then in tennessee i have a garden there that i started at our family home and it has what I call zinnia row and that's just Mm -hmm. like this tall row of all these zinnia flowers that are just gorgeous the vegetables didn't do very good this year but the flowers did well this year there I mean you we can't have everything all at once in this life (laughs) I know the order of time the order of time (laughs) oh my gosh don't even get me started I well we should get started on on musical things because I have, I feel like a million questions. I am curious about your transition into being a solo artist. Was the Tennessee Express EP your first solo project? It was um, The Way of the Weeping Willow. Oh, yes, The Way of the Weeping Willow. And then Mountain of Rose Quartz, mm-hmm. then Tennessee Express, then Pushing Against the Stone. Then The Order of Time, then The Moon and Stars. Yes. And the very first one was Bella Sun. It was the band yes. that I had. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and a book. Yay! <laughs> you've been wor- you've been working. I think they call that prolific. Well, I enjoy working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what were the influences that were on you when you went from being in that duo Bella Sun? to like starting to put out your own solo material. Like who were the people in that Memphis scene that were like an influence on you? And what was the process like of like, I'm gonna strike out on my own solo artist. Did you know what you wanted to sound like? You know what, as far as what I'm gonna sound like, Mm -hmm. I sound so much like myself that I really can't sound (laughs) like anything but this. Yep. (laughs) I did try when I was in Bella Sun to sound Mm -hmm very soulful and like what I thought Mike my ex would love to hear for because mm-hmm. he loves soulful like Aretha voices but yeah. clearly that didn't work yeah <laughs> so sounding like me is the only way I can be and um and then besides that the limitation of my musical ability 
determined what I was going to sound like, too. Like, I learned some chords, basic chords. And you can only sound, like, so much when you're in that phase. You can only get so much out of them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, So basic folk songs or a bend of a note here and there into a bluesy sound was a great way to start and so well I you're feel perfectly like at home here on basic folk <laughs> yeah I feel like since then I've evolved but like that's where I had to start and I think that's a good place to start oh my gosh I can relate so much that's like truly why I'm here on basic folk um this is a little personal I know as a journal journalist you're supposed to be objective but my first experience with your music was in 2013 I saw the music video for Working Woman Blues, and it just, you know, knocked me off my feet because at that time I was so ignorant to the contributions of Black women and country. Like, I knew we had Tracy Chapman, you know, that was who I knew, and and I just didn't know there were so many women who looked like me making this kind of music. So the realness and the groove of Working Woman Blues just, like, was like a light switch turning on at a time when I was just trying to figure out what to do with my life. So the lyric that stands out to me from that song is like, I've been working like a man all my life. And I think it stood out from a lot of other country music that I'd heard, particularly from white women, where there's this focus on like getting out of the domestic and like breaking against these limitations of the housewife stereotype and things like that. Whereas like, as black women, a lot of times we are working and working and working and working and trying to be treated as delicate, trying to be taken care of, wondering what it would be like to rest. So this is a long way of saying, like, thank you for that song. Thank you for the work that you do. And how do you think about all the work that you've done now? Like, do those many jobs stay with you that you had to do to get where you are now? Like. Do you have to intentionally make space for rest? Or is it tempting to just hustle and hustle and work? You asked a lot of questions. Um, Sorry. <laughs> it was a big thought. You, you can jump in wherever you want. Um, well, I started working when I was a kid. My father had a construction and demolition company, and he would build churches and schools mm-hmm. and things, but he would also tear down um like old buildings and he would salvage everything in the building and use it when he went to build a church or something and Mm -hmm. so used bricks were the thing that he would salvage the most and they have to be clean the mortar that's around them and so we would go all of us as a family and we would spend our Saturdays um, Friday nights and things cleaning bricks and Mm -hmm. my brothers drove tractors and they put the bricks on the back of the trailer and my father had an 18-wheeler truck and he would drive them to be sold and you know salvaging all the wood and different things like that so working And seeing the way that my parents worked as black small business owners in the South Mm -hmm. with five kids to feed for themselves, um, the seeing the way they did it really inspired a dreamlike mindset in myself and all my siblings. Most of my Mm -hmm. siblings, like, are big-time dreamers and have achieved their dreams. And, um, And when you have dreamers as your parents, then you learn that dreams are work and that you're going to have to put in some energy. Or you can just dream to dream. But I like dreaming to see 
the manifestation of the dream. And so I really like, when I look at all the work that I've done, sometimes it makes me sad because yeah, Mm -hmm. as a black woman, I would have preferred even at this point at the level of my space where I am to be a little further, you know, for what I've put in. And when you see others who don't look like you going that extra mile and getting there, it just can be discouraging. But that's where I come back to how I was raised and how I see that the dream is bigger than an outside physical manifestation of things. What it is is an internal journey that you go on when you decide to follow a dream and your joy and your like gain for it has to be internal you know because by the time you get to where your destination mark is for a certain thing you're already on to the next yeah (laughs) dreamers dream (laughs) dream 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 so you never get there when you talk about hustle yeah i love rick ross every day i'm hustling because that's what i'm doing (laughs) even now (laughs) and i think that's just how it is and i do wish it was easier and i really hope that my contribution as a black woman in country and all genres that i do which aren't like traditionally accepting of women who look like me I hope I've kicked open the door in some way to help y'all to come on through because, girl, I was going through like this. <laughs> I mean, you have. You, you really Me have. and a bunch of other people, of course. Yeah. But, you know, we have to the believe that you. our the you. contributions help oh to gosh. make the door easier. So by the time the young girls come up now that they can just ice skate through like grace, graceful swans to their success. <laughs> That's what I see for them, and I hope. <laughs> for me, I always I always talk about it in terms of Lizzie Jr. Like, I want Lizzie Jr. to be able to just burst through the doors, <laughs> yeah. like, so easily. Um, it's a work in progress. I, I really appreciated your comments on that. I am going to try not to cry, because it is really real, and this industry and this world can break your heart over and over. And it's really amazing and and meaningful to see how you continue to bring joy and bring ambition and bring clear-headedness, as well as the big dreams, to what you're doing. So I have a lot of admiration for your approach to the work. Well, it's okay if you do cry, because if you are, you know, like on a dreamer's journey, the joy comes with tears, you know. Mm-hmm. You smile and, and laugh, but you cry at the same time. So cry yeah. when you need to cry and cry hard. Okay, I will. <laughs> Speaking of dreamers, I have been listening to The Moon and Stars prescriptions for dreamers your new album i mean on repeat in my house it is such a cool album and it's so many different things and i want to know how you approached it as a producer because um from what i've read like this is the most active role you've done like you've had as far as being behind the boards so like what were there producers that you sort of followed in the footsteps of did you have like a grand vision for the album like before you started Um, Or did the sound evolve as it went? 
Um, I lean so heavily on Jack Splash with the production, mm -hmm. and I'm very honored that he included me in the name of the producers mm -hmm. on the yeah. record. Because many of the things we did were built off just the rough tracks that I did. And all of wow. those were things that I did on my own before I met Magical Wizard Jack. And so... Oh, that's so interesting. So they were like the scratch rough tracks, like ended up on the final product? Yeah, and that's because of the way he listened to all the songs and he mm -hmm. was like i was like these are just we'll throw them away when i meet a producer yeah. but he was like uh-uh we're keeping all of it we're just gonna build on it and wow put the layers and the voices that you hear on top of it and so that's what our we spent a little time in his studio maybe like five or six days where we like worked on the production elements of it and and then we went to Criterion in Miami and mm -hmm. we we had our, I'd already worked with my musicians but we added his musicians to the record Whoa. so there's like all of these drums and all of these like multiple yeah. instrument in musicians for each instrument two key players two organ players two guitarists you know so it was a mixture of some just being like woodshedding at the house, getting songs ready mm -hmm. to hit the studio, and the others being like, whoa, this is an explosion of stratospheric sound when I met Jack, you mm -hmm. know, being able to take it to that place where it's like the voices and the sounds are swirling around you and you're just floating. That's what he was able to help do, you know. There are narrative elements to it, of course, but I the the impression that I got more than anything was like you were creating a world like all surrounding the, the listener, 360 degrees. And that's so cool to hear that you like combined multiple bands and, and different sessions to make those layers. Oh yeah. Tons of engineers, tons of yeah. studios, tons of musicians and um, ben Rice produced one song on there, and mm -hmm. my New York band guys, some of them were on yeah. there. <laughs> so a lot of people. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I'm, I wonder about the, uh, the I love the meditative um, interludes. Normally I'm like a very impatient person, and I've always been like too impatient to meditate. <laughs> but for some reason, I just found myself feeling so still in those moments, listening to those interludes. And are you someone that meditates? I am, yes. So I am, is there like a big gap between here I am, Valerie, my physical body is here, I'm meditating, I'm having an experience with the people in this room versus recording that for people that might be like, and like releasing it and millions of people might hear it. Like they might be driving, they might have it on in the background of a party, they might be falling asleep. Mm -hmm. And you don't have any like control or like physical connection to the person that's hearing the meditation. Like, how did you create something that you you knew or hoped would connect with someone you'd never met? I thought a lot about artists who do mm -hmm. installation art, people, mm -hmm. <laughs> or people who create scenes, visual scenes around themselves. Like Warhol would be someone, or Basquiat right. would be someone, and how they create these worlds, and we walk into them. I went to see an exhibit of Frida Kahlo's work when it was in, in Brooklyn right. and at the Arts uh, Museum. Different things like that, and walking into an artist's work, mm -hmm. and and every day we walk into 
the earth. Like we open our mm-hmm. door and we, or we don't have to open our door. I was laying down, down this morning and the birds were so pretty. And then this squirrel mm-hmm. was going crazy <laughs> outside like and just listening yeah, to the mm-hmm. sounds. And so for me, like I take my time to go for my walk or my meditation and I do that and I get those moments, you know, like 10 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever that might be. But then that's just the door that opens me to the day. And so the rest of the meditation is in action. It's with Hmm. the people that I'm around or as I'm walking down the street or as I'm watering the plants and I'm listening to the water go in there or the birds singing in the morning, connecting again and again to my breath and my Mm -hmm. connection to all living things that I'm one with them. But if I don't take the minutes to like do this singular breath work, it's a little harder to be in tune with that space that's with us all the time. So you can be a busy, active person like you are and carry a meditation with you through the day. Mm -hmm. I think there are sitting, there's so many different ways to meditate. Like there are actual sitting meditations, but Mm -hmm. there's walking meditations and so many sound meditations. So there's so many ways. And I think you just have to find what resonates with you, which is why I wanted to put the musical ones on there because music resonates with so many people. (laughs) Right. That's like an easier way in to a, to a quiet, still moment because anyone can access it through like pleasure through just like enjoyment it's true and growing up and hearing all of the animals and the mm-hmm. sounds around of a different life than the busy city life and then here in the city life the sirens and finding that groove with that those two are musical worlds that mm-hmm. I that are I'm in all the time. I'm either here or there, and I'm in them. <laughs> so why not make it a part of what my music and what I do? Yeah, I'm guessing you don't walk around with headphones in the city. You're like hearing what is actually happening. If I'm listening to some music, of course I'm mm-hmm. listening. I'm using mm-hmm. headphones, but otherwise, no, I'm listening to the city. I'll be on the subway with my mantras running in my head as I breathe. Thank you because I am now calm. Thank you because I am now radiant. Breathing in, thank you because I am now shining. Breathing out, thank you because I am now shining. Breathing in, thank you because I am now glowing. Breathing out, thank you because I am now glowing. And that's in my mind all day as I do stuff. That was so calming. Are are meditations proprietary or can I borrow that? Uh, you can now, take it. I used to try okay, to keep them you. for myself, but now I'm okay <laughs> with sharing them. <laughs> Good for you. I'm selfish with food now, and what mm-hmm. else am I selfish with? I'm very like selfish. Like your recipes? With, yeah. Well, just food. Like if oh, I yeah. go to the grocery store and don't eat the last eggs or don't eat the last mm-hmm. grapes or whatever it is, I'm like, no, don't touch it. Not don't you dare. <laughs> don't you dare. Yeah. Um, I want to know about the work that you did to get to the vocal performances on this album, because there are so many different textures and moods and colors. And there's there's like there are growling sounds and there's, you know, really folksy restraint and control and emotion and lightness and everything in between. And I imagine you had to, like, get into different emotional places 
to do each of the different songs, kind of like an actor would. So like, for an example, how did you get into the place that you needed to be to sing Fallen? Like, that's my favorite vocal performance on this on the album. And it's so distinct and so, so quiet and delicate. That's a very old song. It's probably about <laughs> maybe 18 years old. And I recorded it in Memphis when I lived there, mm-hmm. just like on my computer with GarageBand. And, and I had it for all these years. And I was like, I'm going to put it out one day, but it's got to be with the right family. Mm-hmm. And so I held it. And finally, I was working on Moon and Stars and thinking about Dreamers and how, you know, those moments when you need to cry or Mm -hmm. when it's like hard as hell or whatever it might be, they happen and you fall. And I was like, I got to put this song on the record. And so the voices that I hear are different. The voices I hear, some are hard, some are soft, some are what I would say is an old white lady, some are young black guys, some are children, you know, they're like, beautiful angelic voices. (laughs) And I just try to do what they do when I hear them. And so Mm -hmm. whatever they sing to me is what I sing to you. (laughs) And that requires me to become what I'm hearing and, um, or ask someone who sounds like that to sing that part. (laughs) Speaking of which... Carla freaking Thomas on this album. What was it like to work with her? I mean, it's like a dream collab, I imagine. <laughs> so when you finally get in the room, like what's like the first thing you do when you're about to when you have to like put something together with one of your heroes? Whoa. It was like ah! <laughs> Yay! That's what it was like and I knew it was yay because I had red flowers in my hair and I brought her a bouquet of flowers and she walked in wearing a red flower and a cowgirl hat and she had on all of these like beautiful rings, turquoise and gemstone rings and I always Mm -hmm. wear gemstone rings and I was just like, she is my sister. Yeah. (laughs) She's my fairy godmother. (laughs) I think I saw red flowers on your stage the other day. Are red flowers a theme in your life? Any flower. Any flower. Yeah, (laughs) any flower. Yeah. Even once I went to Denver to the Botanic Garden and I saw the stinky flower and they're jumping. Oh, yeah, the the ghost. What is it? The uh, the corpse flower? Yeah, corpse. (laughs) And I even was like, whoa, that's so beautiful. Get me out of here. (laughs) (laughs) But I love like any flower. And so when we made the record, Every studio we worked in, we had fresh flowers, and I would do a flower mandala, and I would work on it while the musicians were cutting their parts. It would grow as the days passed. And so flowers have been a part of the whole creation of the record, Moon and Stars, but also Mm -hmm. they are what Clara Balfour says are the stars of the earth. So to me, Mm -hmm. it just fit with what we were doing to have the stars of the earth there, you know? So would you recommend that we all go back and re-listen to the record like with a candle or some fresh cut flowers and like include an aromatherapy element? Yeah, I would totally recommend that. But I also say that people have to listen to it where where they're comfortable and as they're comfortable. Mm-hmm. But for me, I would love to present the record to people 
as an experience in person mm-hmm. with them one day. But Corona's happening, so it's not so easy yeah. to pull that off. The best thing I can do is a show. Yeah. <laughs> and even that's hard. I know. The outside, the outdoor thing helps. I, I'm always interested to know, like, what artists think is the ideal setting to receive their work. Like, so for your poetry book, for example, Maps of the Modern World, do you imagine the reader reading it alone, sitting down quietly? Or do you think it's better to hear your poetry out loud? Probably alone, quietly, and not, mm-hmm. not you know, just as they want to open it randomly. I wouldn't, you know, they weren't written in an order, so reading them in an order is okay, but you can also just read five books at a time like I do and randomly open that one when you need to. And it'll mm-hmm. give you whatever you need in that moment, you know have it on the bedside table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Put it with the big bedside pile because hopefully you have a lot of books over there and you can just pull and be like, oh, I need this today. Mine is like, I need something. Come on, what you got? <laughs> mine is just growing and growing. Like, <laughs> And sometimes it's a guilt pile, but on a good day, it's like a nice future adventures pile. Mm-hmm. Know where you're going pile. Like there's still stuff to yeah. do. It ain't over yet, like that Rodney Rodney Crawl song. Yeah, I love so much. Um, are you game for a lightning round at the end of our conversation? Okay. The only rule is you cannot. You can skip a question, but you cannot clarify. Just go from the get. Whatever comes to mind is the answer. Okay. Okay. Okay, Valerie June, lightning round: lake swimming or ocean swimming? Ocean. Who is your celebrity crush? Mavis. <laughs> <laughs> what is the last book you read? Oh, God. That's hard. I have too many. Um, <laughs> Divine Romance is what I'm working on now. Nice. It's a um, Yogananda book, but yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. Okay. Coffee or tea? Tea. This might be a hard one. If you had to pick one color to dress in for the rest of your life, what would you choose? Gosh, don't do that to me. (laughs) Okay, skip it. That is so hard. Uh Uh-uh. No. No. Okay. What is your... (laughs) I am rebuked and I accept it. Um, What is your favorite city you've ever visited on tour? Lyon, France. I really love it there. It's beautiful. Are aliens real, yes or no? Yes. If you're going on a road trip across the desert, who would you prefer as your companion? Stevie Nicks, Nicki Minaj, Nick Cave, or New York Nick, Patrick Ewing? I'd probably want to be alone, but if I wasn't alone, I'd go with Stevie Nicks. Okay, great. And finally, if you could tell 10-year-old Valerie one thing, what would it be? Dance. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I think 30-year-old Lizzie also needed to hear that. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you so much. This uh, this has been a conversation with Valerie June, amazing singer-songwriter, and her new album, The Moon and Stars, Prescriptions for Dreamers, is out now. Everybody needs to listen to it. It is a balm for the soul. Thank you so much, Valerie. Thank you, Lizzie. Have a great day. 
This episode of Basic Folk was produced by John Nungesser. Our music is by Alex Stanton of the band Townspeople. Thanks to Lizzie No again for interviewing Valerie June. And make sure you go back and listen to all of Lizzie's wonderful interviews at basicfolk.com or wherever you get podcasts. I'm Cindy House. Thank you so much for checking out the pod all the way to the end. You are a real American hero, unless you're not American and you're just an international hero. Not just an international hero. You're like a superhero. All right. Talk to you next time. Mm, Bye. Bye.